Today we're starting a new series, The Mission of Grace Covenant Church. Now it's the beginning of the year and, and this is a great moment to kind of take stock to, to evaluate your life and, and what's going on in your life, what you're doing, what habits you've established, what goals you have. And as a church, it's a great moment for us to touch base and say, hey, what are we even about? What are we trying to accomplish here? And one of the things I love about, about our church is that we state our mission every Sunday. You know, someone comes up here, whether it's, it's Matt or it's, or it's Pastor Jermaine or, or Mike or someone else, Colleen, and, and says, the mission of Grace Covenant Church is help, to help you ex- encounter Christ, experience community, and extend the kingdom of God into your various spheres of influence, the places where God has entrusted influence with you. And so we're going to be talking about what that's about. You know, our mission is not, it's not just a tagline. It's not just something that we're, we like to say and it, and it sounds cool. You know, we, we call it the three E's. It's, it's not just something that, that we, we put on a t-shirt and, and let it be. No, our mission, this is what directs and drives what we do, how we do it. And so it's important that, that we're all on the same page about what we're trying to accomplish as your church body. And if, if you're new or if you're not really sure what we're about, my hope is that over the next three weeks that you'll get an idea of what we are about, what we're trying to do, and that you'd be interested in participating in that. Now, I will say that, that what we're about as a church is what God's about. And so my hope is that even though we phrase it in this way of encountering Christ, experiencing community, extending the kingdom, that you'll see that this is really a biblical mandate that God gives us. That this is not just a good idea that some pastors came up with, but this is really the, the stewardship and the deposit that God has given us to protect and establish. So today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to encounter Christ. We're going to read out of Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. And so together, as a, as a church body, we're going to stand right now and we're going to read this together. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. It says this, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast at his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at a table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to call sinners to repentance. God, I thank you that you did not leave us without recourse but you have established a way, a way of salvation, a way of deliverance, a way of, of avoiding the righteous and right punishment that each of us deserves. And God, I pray that as we listen to Jesus calling Matthew to follow him, that we would hear with our own ears your call for us to follow you. Holy Spirit, would you be here, illuminate your word impress upon us the meaning of your word, apply it to our hearts and our lives. God, would you make us 
more equipped to follow you as we walk out of this service today? Would you give us greater motivation to follow you, greater commitment to follow you, greater conviction to follow you, and like Levi, to leave everything behind in the process? God, I pray that you would overturn every attitude of cynical criticism, every spirit of arrogance, and would you bring us to a place of humble, wholehearted, obedient submission. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. So here we see this story about Jesus. It, it, it says he a bunch, so there's the pronoun he, but this is talking about Jesus encountering Levi. If you were to go to Matthew or, or Mark, you, you, I think in Mark, but certainly in Matthew, the name you see there is Matthew. So Levi, some scholars try to say that it's two people, but probably it's one person, Levi, Matthew, Matthew, Levi, two names, not uncommon in that time, time period. So if I say Levi, I'm talking about Matthew, and if I, talk about, if I say Matthew, I'm also talking about Levi. Same person. And so we see here a number of things. We see a call. We see Levi's response to Jesus. We see the Pharisees' response to Jesus. And then we really see Jesus' response. We see a call. We see Levi's response, the Pharisees' response, and then Jesus' response. And as we're thinking about this, I want you to situate yourself in the story. And, And even though... You know, like most superhero movies, you want to identify with the superhero. I want you to be honest as you're picturing yourself in the crowd. Where do you find yourself as Jesus comes into the focus? None of us is Jesus in this story, right? We can take him off the list. Um, but, But do we find ourselves as Levi looking and waiting and ready to follow? Or do we find ourselves as the Pharisees kind of critical and and judgmental and, and kind of evaluating things? Do we find ourselves as, as wishing and hoping that, that we would encounter Christ, but, but not being the one to whom he speaks? I want us to think about that as we, as we picture this story. Let's look at the call. After this, in verse 27, it says, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. So Jesus has been ministering. If we go back, we see that he, he calls his first disciples, not, not Matthew at this point. He's going to call Matthew, but some of the other disciples. He's been healing in, in chapter 4. He begins his ministry in chapter 4. He starts preaching about uh, the kingdom of God in the synagogue. So some of his, his renown is beginning to work its way out. He, he's being known about and talked about to some degree. He heals a man with an unclean demon, it says in, in verse 31 and following of chapter 4. He cleanses a leper. He heals a man who is paralyzed, and then he sees Levi. And there's nothing outwardly that's wrong about Levi, but he is what's called a tax collector. And now, he, he's not necessarily, if you're familiar with, with kind of the, the culture of, of this time period, he's not like one of the high tax collectors, um, he, he's a lowly tax collector. What, what happened in Rome is, or in the Roman Empire is they would take people and hire them to collect taxes. And, and sometimes they would collect taxes over a region. And those regional tax collectors would really become kind of 
managers of tax collectors, and they would hire other guys. And because of the way that the Roman Empire worked it, you, you could basically pay for that position. And so in order to, to make ends meet, you had to get the tax, and then you had to get your markup to pay, pay your way. And, and if you can imagine, this is a bit of a pyramid scheme, right? This guy gets some, this guy gets some, plus some, this guy. So the taxes are kind of ridiculous, and, and the people who collect the taxes are really looked down upon. They're disliked by the culture. They're disliked by the society. And in, in the Jewish society, it's considered theft. This tax was considered theft. And so they were really, really, really disliked. And we see that with the Pharisees when he talks about them, uh, when they talk about him, he says, why do you eat, talking to Jesus, or what the disciples of Jesus, and he says, why do you guys eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Right? There's the sinners, and then there's the tax collectors. And we can kind of relate to that because people don't talk about the IRS or an IRS agent and think, you know, he's a nice guy. You know, we like to get together. No, when someone says there's an IRS person at the door, everyone's like, well, why? No. Oh, I got to go, you know? Because it's, it's a sticky subject. And, and in this case, it, it was even more considered morally reprehensible. They were considered traitors to their own countrymen. And so think about that fact. So, so Levi, Matthew, is sitting at his tax booth doing his thing, collecting his taxes. People may be walking by, but they're not happy to see this guy. They're not interested in having a conversation with him. And Jesus, who's been ministering with people, finding people in need, there's a, a man who's paralyzed and a man with leprosy, and, and he's healing them, expressing love, and he, he hones in on this guy, this IRS agent. And he says, hey, you, follow me. He has this amazing call that's so specific, it's personal, it's intentional. And Jesus speaks directly to him, looks him in the eye, you can imagine. It doesn't say that he looks him in the eye, but, but I think that he looks at him as a person, recognizes that he's a person. And he says, follow me. You know, every encounter with Christ is a call to follow him. Now, this one is explicit, right? Jesus says, follow me. But, but the fact of his presence demands a response, and the appropriate response is to follow him. If the president of the United States of America, regardless of your, your, your political leanings, were to walk into that room, I think we'd all stand up and probably put our hands some, awkwardly. We wouldn't know exactly what to do. Look around, wise, because there's, there's an appropriate response to the position, and when the God of the universe walks into the room, there's an appropriate response to the position. And so we see this call. And what's interesting is that, is that Luke here gives us kind of some mirror pictures or some contrasting pictures of what, what it looks like to respond to Jesus when he walks in the room. We first see Luke's, or Levi's response. And I'm going to describe it three ways. It's a, it's a wholehearted response, it's an obedient response, and it's a humble response. Right? It's a, it's a wholehearted response, it's an obedient response, and ultimately it's a, it's a humble response. Luke makes it explicit that, that Levi leaves everything. If you go and you look at, at verse 28, it says, and leaving everything. He says that specifically. He fronts that information. Right? If you're a writer, 
The, the, the stuff you put in front is the stuff you want people to, to encounter first, right? Because sentences, that's how they work. And so he says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Levi rose and followed Jesus. There's nothing that he holds back. He doesn't hold anything. It, it, it kind of doesn't make sense. I mean, if you were to walk up to, um, if Jesus were to walk into a, a, an IRS storefront, thank goodness those don't exist, um, and you saw, you saw the, the IRS clerk, and, and you talked to him, and you said, hey, follow me, and he just walks out. Right, that's foreign to us. Like, you got to lock up. There's people's information. There's, you're breaking some laws. I don't know what's happening right now, but there's some social security numbers. Lock that stuff up. Set it on fire. I don't know. Do something. Deal with your business. But no, Levi just leaves. He picks up and he follows. And, and you got to think that Luke is getting at something here. And it's not good business practices. He's not trying to teach us how to run a business. He's, he's pointing to the fact that Levi responded in a wholehearted, unreserved, unabashed way. When faced with the, the Messiah who was promised to come, the one who would usher in this kingdom of God that had been promised, this, this new age where God's ruling and reigning would be expressed through the people of God who had been saved and renewed and given new hearts of flesh, when he was faced with that, he let everything else go. Nothing else was going to hinder him. Nothing was going to prevent him from coming. You know, I was reading in, in, this morning in, because I try to read my Bible every day, as you should. It says in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight of sin that clings, up, clings so closely to us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. The picture that the, Hebrew, uh, the writer of Hebrews gives us is a picture of, of a runner encumbered by life. And he says, get rid of the sin. Get rid of the temptations. Get rid of the other things that would try and prevent you from what? Running to Jesus. And so here we see Levi laying aside everything to run to Jesus. He leaves all that he has known. He leaves his identity. He leaves his security. You know, he... he He's following this guy into the unknown. He's leaving his sense of control, his sense of security. Sometimes we don't follow Jesus, not because we don't believe. Like we're like, yes, I believe you, Jesus. But there's this sense that if I'm not in control, I can't do it. And, and family, you can't follow and also be in control. When we struggle with anxiety, and, and I, I get it, I, I'm, I've been there with you, uh, but when you struggle with anxiety, it's not just a struggle, um, a turmoil in your soul, it's a struggle to allow God to control your life. You can't, you can't follow him and at the same time be leading. He, he gives a wholehearted response, and a wholehearted response is ultimately an obedient response. You know, Jesus' call, it wasn't a suggestion. This wasn't a Socratic, let us reason together. Levi, I want to have a conversation. What do you think you should do with your life? Speak to your inner reality and your inner truth, and let's, let's kind of see if what you find to be true and what I find to be true resonate. And if they do, we'll synergize and we'll be together. You can, and we can walk, you know, as a team. It'll be team, team Jesus and Levi. Very democratic 
you know, we'll talk about where to go. No, follow me. It was a command. It was instruction. It was direction. It was directorial. Follow me. And even the command itself, the verb, implicit in it is this idea that you're not leading. You're not leading. If you're leading and following, you're walking around by yourself. He says, follow me. And Jesus, uh, Levi, responds. You know, when, when I was a kid, uh, and, and probably when you're a kid, or maybe if you're a parent, you may have heard these words coming off your lift, lips, because I said so. And, and, and for many of us, that was the kind response. Because the other response would have been maybe nonverbal. Why do I have to do that? Because I said so. And certainly your kids get to a certain age where, where you, you, you move from being authoritarian to, to being kind of coaching. But there's this season of life where, you know, this little three-year-old or two-year-old is about to, to do something. And you, you redirect them. And you help them obey. And then they get to an age where you, you speak with your words because I said so and they need to obey because you're the authority in their life. The God-given, righteous, loving authority. And those things can exist, they can coexist, family. You can have a righteous, loving, caring authority and that's, that's our goal as parents, right? Because I said so. When our parents told us to do something, we did it because they were our parents. At least that was the goal. <laughs> For some of you, are like, uh, that, that's not really my story. <laughs> um, but that was the goal. And when Jesus calls Matthew to respond, he responds because Jesus said so. I'll repeat that. When, when Matthew obeys Jesus, when Jesus calls him to follow him, Matthew obeys because Jesus said so. This is why when I'm up here on stage and I'm saying, this is how you need to live your life. Because Eddie said so doesn't mean anything to you. Even with my kids. And if you're watching kids, you need to obey because I'm doing things and telling you to do things that God is telling you to do. But if I tell them to do things that aren't in this book or contrary to this book, contrary to the word of God, if I try to use my authority out of line with the way that God wants me to use that authority, the word means nothing. But when Jesus says so, when Jesus says so, I can say, you need to repent. And it doesn't carry the weight of, of Eddie Barnes, me. It carries the weight of God who is speaking. He responds because Jesus says so. How have you responded to Jesus, just as a side note. We, we all have areas of our life where because I says so isn't quite enough. We have areas of our life where we ask God, well, why do I have to do that? And he says, well, because I'm God. And we're like, well, but I need more. And, and I, would, I, would, I would say to you, Choose the verbal response over the nonverbal response. His, his response is wholehearted. It's obedient. 
And ultimately, it's, it's a humble response. It's a humble response. Now, we don't see Luke commenting on the humility of Levi. It's pretty short, right? After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. There's, there's not a lot of, like, fanfare there. But, but if you begin to step back and think about it, there were no questions. There were no qualifications. For, I'll follow you, Jesus, but um, I want to make sure that I, I, I deposited this all in my Roth IRA. You know, I've got a lot back there. I want to make sure it's, it's taken care of. Um, I want to close some accounts. And, you know, this client over here, I want to make sure that he gets, you know, handed over to another good client. No, he, he just, he says yes. He does. He doesn't just say yes either. He doesn't just, with his words, say, oh, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. But with his actions, he follows you know, family, there's a difference between saying yes and doing yes. Now, hopefully they coincide. You say yes, and then you do yes. Sometimes we say yes, and we do, well, maybe later, or no. But there's none of that with him. It's a humble response. And I think that Levi knew that he was in the presence, that was in the presence of someone who was greater than him. He knew that he was in the presence of someone who was greater than him. Have you ever been in... <laughs> Have you ever been in the presence of someone who is greater than you and, and all of a sudden your politeness just goes up a notch? You start saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, okay, your hands go here, right? There's none of this. You certainly aren't, you aren't your body language is communicating submission, right? Because we understand we're in the presence of someone greater and we want everything about us to communicate, I am on board, with what you're saying, with what you're telling me. He knew he was in the presence of someone that he needed to listen to. And he knew that he needed to respond in a way that showed that Jesus was greater. Your response to Jesus communicates what you believe about Jesus. I mean, that makes sense, right? Your response about Jesus communicates what you believe about Jesus. You know, if if, if I go over here, well, I'm not going to do it for the sake of the video, but if I were to go and, and there's a speaker over there and I could sit down on it, the fact that I sit down on it communicates that I believe it can hold my weight, right? What I believe about it is communicated by my actions, and, and the way that Levi responds communicates that he believes something about Jesus, that he's worthy of being followed, that he's greater, that, that even though Levi doesn't get the plan or the, the, the directions or the, the five-year, this is the Gantt chart, this is what we're going to be doing, here's our project management plan, this is our milestones, gets none of that. He knows, Jesus knows what's going on, and so he follows him. It's a humble response. Family, I love you so much. Sometimes when we respond to Jesus, it communicates we don't believe that he is worthy of being followed. And you might say, well, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. Sometimes when I'm holding up my Bible, when we hear Jesus, we don't respond in a way that says we understand that he's worthy of being followed. Well, Jesus, I know that you say that that I need to be pure and holy, but not right now. Jesus, I know that you say that I need to walk with integrity, but, but no one can see this. They don't even really pay attention to the, the supplies here, the office supplies. I'm going to just take this pen home, take these things home. Jesus, I, I know that, that your word says to, 
to be honest. I know that your word says not to say unkind things, not to slander, not to gossip. I know that your word says, but our response communicates what we believe about Jesus. When we think about whether or not we are walking in discipleship, that's, that's language that we use here to talk about following and obeying Jesus. When we think about, okay, am I obeying Jesus? The list doesn't, doesn't need to just be, am I going to church? Am I reading my Bible? Am I in a small group? Those are all good things. They're good positive yeses. But what about the no's? Am I not doing this thing? Am I not doing this? Am I growing in obedience? Or are there areas of my life where I'm still, where I'm still saying, you know what, Jesus, I, I know you said that, but. And, and family, I say that not as one who has arrived by any means. Talk to those closest around me. I say that as a fellow practitioner, that, that when we respond, it, we can use that to take note. Okay, I'm responding in this way. What does that say about what I believe about Jesus? And if it's out of line, then that's a moment to say, okay, I repent of that behavior. Lord, help me to walk in a way that aligns with what I believe. Not everyone responded in the way that Levi did. Levi throws this great party. And it's just not just like a party because he likes to throw parties. He says, it says in, in verse 29, and Levi made him a great feast at his house. He throws a party. He has a great feast for Jesus. He meets Jesus. This is the Messiah. I'm excited to follow him. And he invites who? All of his friends. He invites his co-workers. He invites his fellow tax collectors. He doesn't, um, as a side note, he doesn't just shut off uh, from the world. He doesn't, he doesn't just, you know, I can't talk to you guys anymore because I'm holy. <laughs> right? It, 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 what's not prescribed is weirdness. What's not, and I, I, what's not prescribed is, is shunning the world. Now, we want to shun the effects of the world. We want to say no to the evil one. We want to say no to the aspects of culture that are evil. But, but Jesus and, and Levi here, they embrace people. That doesn't mean that they, they wholeheartedly uh, give assent to everything that people do. And in fact, we see Jesus saying that that's sin, that's sin, that's sin. But it is interesting that, that as we look at Jesus and his ministry, he got most angry about self-righteousness. Now, it doesn't say that he was cool with, with tax collectors stealing or with people living outside of marriage in, in illicit ways, but, but it, it does say that, that he deals most directly with the self-righteous when it comes to his anger. That's a side note. Speaking of which, the Pharisees, how do they respond? He throws this party and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. They were, they were angry enough to grumble, but they were smart enough not to come up to Jesus directly. How many coworkers, well, anyways, don't. Just slow way down. They, they grumbled. And you, you, can, you can just see this playing out, right? Why, question number one, why are they there? If they're, they're so anti this event, why are they, if they're in the party, we don't exactly know what's going on. Maybe they're in the party, maybe they're out of the party. 
Maybe even they, they hear about the party. It seems to communicate that, that they're there when it's happening. But even if you were to say, okay, well, maybe they were there afterwards. How did they hear about the party? How did they hear about the details of the party? Why were they in the middle of the gossip circle? Right? You see the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, but, but they're here. They're, they're grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Now, you may not have grown up in church. The Pharisees were a, a very strict sect of Judaism that, that was kind of separatist. They tried to hold themselves to moral and ritual purity. And, and they didn't just hold themselves to the Bible. They had created these traditions of, of what they called you know, moral purity, uh, ritual purity. And so they would separate themselves quite a bit from the riffraff, as it were. But really, they'd stepped away from the ultimate call of Israel, which was to be a light to the, the nations around them. They, they wanted to, you know, in another place, Jesus says, you don't put a, a light under a bushel. No, we let it shine. Well, they didn't want to let it shine. They didn't want to let it shine for themselves. And so here we see them judging Jesus and the disciples. And he says, they say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Their, their response was, was a critical response, and it was an arrogant response. You know, it's so different from Jesus, or from, from Levi's response to Jesus. So interesting that, that when they're faced with the same person, the same reputation, rather than receiving Jesus, they begin to question his authority. They begin to question the legitimacy of his actions. For them, there's no sort of assumption that Jesus is good, and therefore, we have to understand his behavior in light of that goodness. Right? There's no assumption that Jesus is a holy God come in the flesh, and therefore, we need to understand what he's doing there in light of that. Right? If you start with this understanding that Jesus is he's the Messiah, then when you see him around sinners and tax collectors, you're going to ask yourself, okay, I do know that these people are in sin, and I know that Jesus is there, so perhaps he's bringing salvation to them. Perhaps he's telling them about how God has brought a way for them to have a relationship with the Father. But you try to understand it in light of that fact. But if you start from square zero thinking that Jesus is not or, or calling into question who Jesus is, then you're going to have a critical response. You're going to stand over Jesus. And we see that in, in, in present day life. The difference between someone who follows Jesus and someone who, who questions Jesus at the end of the day is a difference of what we'd call faith. But it's this belief that what? Jesus is the Son of God. And if you don't hold to that truth, everything else is up for grabs. Levi, to whatever level, we don't know exactly the, the degree of his faith at this moment. You know, you can have varying degrees of faith. God grows your faith. But he had a very real faith presupposition that Jesus was God. These Pharisees were calling that into question. But this, but this isn't just a, this isn't just a, a, a mental, like, well, you have your opinion, I have my opinion, you have your reality, I have my reality. In Romans 1, it talks about the kind of, of, of ignorance that we have towards God, and it's not one of knowledge. It wasn't like they saw Jesus, but they didn't know about him. They didn't hear that he did the amazing things that he did. They didn't know about his miracles, and they're like, oh, we didn't know, and so we just thought he was man. No, they had seen the same things that everyone else had seen, 
And even knowing these things, their rebellion was expressing itself and saying, you are not God. And it's all because of that, the reason I say all that is because it's all of, because of that attitude that stands over God, that says, I know better than God, that exchanges the glory of God for, for mental ascent and my own ability to control reality. When it stands like that, that's when they come back and they say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Don't you know? Don't you know? And what irony, right? What irony? Going to an author and explaining to him how the story should end. Like, you know I wrote the story, right? Like, well, whatever. The, the, they, they give a, a critical and arrogant response. Now, we, we agree. We look at these guys, oh, these yahoos, these morons. But every time we disobey, every time you and I disobey, we stand over God and we say, really, God? I don't know about that. Every time you say a word that you shouldn't say, a, you know, an unkind statement, every time you, you entertain an, an evil thought, every time you get frustrated and angry and you let your, your anger vent out, what you're doing is saying, I'm God, Jesus, you're not. I get this set the rules, you don't. The Pharisees' response is, at least I'll say for myself, the Pharisees' response is a lot closer to my response more often than I'd like to admit. And how does Jesus respond to all of this? He says in verse 31, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now, he says this kind of tongue-in-cheek because he knows the Pharisees and he knows that they hold themselves to a great degree of self-righteousness. They, they think that they're righteous because of X, Y, and Z. Whereas the Bible tells us and Jesus tells us and the Old Testament tells us that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. Now, we might seek after good things, we might do good things, but if we were faced with the holy, righteous God, apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ, if we were faced with God himself, we would all say, no, thank you. We would all say, no, thank you. And if you disagree with me, I would encourage you to look at your day and, ju and just be honest about how many times you said no, thank you to something that was in the Bible. He, he's, he's saying, I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And, and it, again, it's tongue-in-cheek because these guys think they know what's going on. They think that they're, you know, we're the solution. We're, we're the healthy ones. We're not sick. There's another place where, where Jesus is going to describe the, the Pharisees and scribes as, as blind guides. They think they know what they're going, where they're going, but they, they can't see. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, Jesus' call to, is a call to sinners, to those who know their need. It can't be heard by those who don't know their need. Right? That's, that's the downside of the good news. 
Right? You can't get on board with Jesus has come to save you if you don't think you need to be saved. There's no, there, there's no coming out of the drowning water if you think, I'm not drowning. These Pharisees don't think they're drowning. And again, it, it, before you just put yourself in Levi's position and say, well, I'm like Levi. You know, we're kind of awesome, he and I. We don't see, myself included, we don't see the depth of our sin, how much it really does offend God. And, and I don't say that because I want to be some sort of like hardcore preacher. You know, we preach, we preach sin. You know, we don't just preach happy good news for people, but we, we preach the truth. Like that, I'm not trying to be edgy or, but, but we have to be honest about our sin I have to be honest about my sin. The more honest that we can be about our sin, the more we can receive from the God who saves. And the good news is you can be honest with God. You can be honest with God about your shortcomings. You can be honest with God about your your temptations. You can be honest with God about your sin. You know why? Because he already knows. He is not surprised by your foolishness. He's... He's waiting. And he's not just waiting in judgment. The fact that Jesus has come to what? To, to, to bring, sinners, sinners, bring sinners to repentance. Right? There's hope on the other end. You don't have to, you don't have to come to him and say that, that you're a sinner and then just wait for the hammer to drop. Right? He, is, he has told you, if you will just... You know, sometimes as a parent, you might have your kids... Um, you might tell them to do something and they may disobey and then you might try and just, just you want to bless them. You want to bless them but you're not going to say, I'm going to bless you. You're just going to, you're going to say, please, just, just do what I told you. And you're just, you're just wanting them to do what they told you and then you're going to bless them but you don't want to just kind of manipulate a response out of them. And, and here we see that that while God is not trying to manipulate a response out of us, he's waiting at the other side wanting to bless us. Right? My kids know, they may not know what the, what's on the other side of, of coming clean, but they know that I'm a good dad. To whatever degree, I'm a good dad. And we have a good God. We can come to him with our sin because we know he's a good God. I don't know what's on the other side of this thing, but I know it's not a hammer because he sent Jesus Christ. Right? The good news is that though we are in deserving of the hammer, as I've put it, even though we deserve punishment, Jesus bore the punishment. And so Jesus responds and he said, hey, you know what? I haven't come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners to repentance. And the scary thing is they could have heard it as just foolishly. Oh, maybe they picked up on the irony, but it's entirely possible that they thought, Oh, well, I'm not a sinner, so I don't know that we have a lot to talk about. And my fear is that when we come to church, when you read this Bible in the mornings and you're like, well, whatever, Pastor Eddie told me to read, so I'm going to read. We might hear a sentence like that, well, Jesus has come to to call not the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And you say, yeah, Jesus, you call those sinners to repentance. Man, do they need it. That lady at work, you need to call her like on the phone right now. 
because, man. And all the while, Jesus is saying, no, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, Eddie. Today, family, Jesus is calling you. If I could lovingly look at each one of you in your face and say, you know, Jermaine, he's calling you. Look in the mirror. Eddie, he's calling you. I would do it because I want you to know that he is not, he's not throwing the seed out indiscriminately without regard for the fact that there are individual people in this room, individual people online watching. God is, he has the ability to speak to us individually in our own heart. He's speaking to you. For some of you, there are thoughts, there are people that you're, you're not forgiving, there are sins that you haven't uh, repented of, there, there are things in your life that you're afraid of that you need to give control over to God, and, and God's bringing that stuff up, and, and part of this conversation, it, it just feels like, can we just move on to the next part? And, and I, I just want to say to you, that sense of, I need to move on, I need to move on, you know, fight or flight type feeling, that's God at work in your heart, saying, this is what I want you to deal with. Would you deal with, come to me. The hammer's already been dealt with. Come to me for repentance. Come to me for salvation. Come to me, I've sent my son Jesus Christ. You right now are encountering Jesus. We've talked about the mission of of Grace County Church as as encountering Christ. It's not some sort of weird, mystical, ethereal thing where where he comes down from the sky with with things controlled and, oh no, it's Jesus and he's got blonde hair and it's blowing in the wind and a white sash and whoa. That's not going to happen. Right, I mean, <laughs> unless God wanted it to happen. So, I mean, I'm, not, I'm just saying I'm not in charge of God. So if he wanted to do that, he could. 99% sure he's not going to do that. But the normative way, the, the normal way, the usual way, the God-ordained way that God will come to you is through his word. Either read or spoken or sung. Communicated through a friend or spouse. Sweetheart, I, you know, I, your attitude is, is kind of off today. You seem like you're bitter. Buddy, you know, I, I love you, man, but, but I, I, I've noticed that you've been really struggling in this area. Son, daughter, you need to stop doing that. You need to start doing this. God, God encounters us in more ways than we can imagine. We need to be aware of that. And, and right now, he's encountering us. Right now, Jesus is speaking. This, this, is, why, this is why I want you to read your Bible every day. I, I talked to my father-in-law because he buy, bought me another fancy Bible, that I love these kinds of Bibles, even though I use a Bible on my iPad, um, because I can shake them at you. <laughs> it shakes really good. I am not kidding. That is absolutely intentional because I want you to have a visual representation at 7 in the morning, 6 in the morning, 8 in the morning, when you wake up, and I want you to think of me shaking this Bible at you, and for that to be some sort of motivating factor for you to say, okay, fine, I'll read my Bible, you know? I lo- and I love you. I'm not angry when I shake, but, but it's a nice, it's, it's a prop. This is what teachers do. They have good props. You're just lucky I don't have a whiteboard. Ask my staff. <laughs> But, but, but every morning that you come to this word, you have opportunity to encounter Christ and experience the benefits of your salvation. 
Maybe you're not a morning person. Every afternoon you have the opportunity to encounter Christ and experience the benefits of your salvation. If you're honest with these things, if you're honest with God, he will address those things and deal with them. Today Jesus is calling you. It's a call to follow him, to stop following other things that promise life and fulfillment. Right? The call to follow Jesus is a two-step call. You, you stop following something else, and you start following Jesus. We're all playing follow the leader. Everyone in this room is following someone or something. Right? That's not, I follow no one. I'm an American. No, you do. You follow someone. Maybe it's your own ego. Maybe it's your own idea of things. But you are following someone. And, and Jesus calls us to follow him. And it's a call to leave everything behind, leave every other identity, leave every source of satisfaction, and to seek purpose and meaning in Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that after church we're going to, you know, the men are just going to shave their heads like this and become monks, and we're going to put on our habits, and the ladies are going to, you know, put on robes, and we're going to become nuns. That's not what it means to let these things go. What it means is you take your stuff, Jermaine, come here. And Jermaine is Jesus. Hop up here. Jermaine is Jesus. We didn't know. Um, you take your stuff. When you, when you let, let them go and you say, here, Jesus. You, that's yours. And if he chooses to give you back the phone, then you can use this for his glory. But if he says, you know what, I'm going to keep that. Then he's going to give you something else that's better. Right? I need my water. I'm going to take my water. You're not Jesus. Give me my water. You're gonna, he was going to give me his phone with something better. That, that doesn't work because it's, it's an Android. So it, every analogy breaks down. Sit down. That's funny. Okay. Anyhow. The, the call to, to follow him is a call to, to stop following other people and things. And the call to follow him is to leave other things knowing that whatever he gives back to you, it's, it's a good thing to, to take back. And it's now a thing that's been consecrated to be used for his purposes. Your, your career, your money, your relationships. Some of your relationships, family, you need to just, you know, oh, we're dating. No, you guys are sinning. You know, well... Yeah, we'll leave it there. <laughs> um, but th- those things that, that he brings back into your life, it's, it's for his purpose and for his glory. Um, it's a life-changing call. And it's a call that, that, that we have the pleasure of receiving. We have the privilege of receiving. You know, how wonderful is it, how, how wonderful are the feet of the person who brings good news? Right? It's so... So good to get good news. For, for Levi, Jesus calling him was good news. It was, it was good news. This is a man who, he's on the outskirts of society. He was an outsider. Through the normal ways of getting to God, the normal religious pathways, he was, he was blocked. But Jesus said, follow me. And today, he's calling you. Saved or uns- like, if you're in this room and you're a Christian, don't, count, don't, don't write me off. 
I'm not talking to just the people who, who are deciding whether to follow Jesus. We have to decide to follow Jesus every day. Every moment, every situation. And God is calling you, saying, today, follow me. How, you, how will you respond? Let's pray. Father God, we, what, what a privilege it is to have your word. Father, I pray that we would come to treasure this word that you've entrusted to us. God, we as, as Americans are so rich, as English-speaking people, we're so rich, version after version after version of the Bible, uh, commentaries, online resources, so many ways that we can encounter Christ through your word. So many freedoms to go to this church or that church or listen to this podcast or that podcast, all just so that we can hear your word, God. But would you make us people who respond to your word rightly? Respond wholeheartedly. Respond humbly. Respond obediently. God, would you, would you help us to respond in those ways? God, give us courage to respond obediently, knowing that the, the hammer has been dealt with. If you're in this room and you need to respond to Jesus right now, if you recognize that you are a sinner in need of salvation, that you want to turn away from your sins, everything you know to be wrong, and you turn to God, I just want you to you raise your hand and I'd like to pray with you. If you're online, you can let one of our hosts know. And you can just pray this with me. God, I turn away from everything I know to be sin and I turn to you, Jesus, knowing that you died on a cross for my sins in my place. And God, I pray that you would help me to walk in a manner that is pleasing to you, that I would follow you. Family, following Jesus is the best decision you can make every single day. Love you.